beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, at this time of year, I always find that the Thanksgiving holiday, Thanksgiving weekend kind of sneaks up on me. Uh, not too long ago, the summer holidays ended, and we got back to the regular routines of uh, the year. But here we are with the ho- holiday weekend, not long after settling into those familiar patterns of life. And yes, it's Thanksgiving weekend. It's the time we set aside, uh, remember uh, God's gracious provision in the crops. It's a time to enjoy tasty food, warm drinks, a good company, and beautiful autumn days. But even more important, it's a time to devote uh, to God in thankfulness, a time to thank God intentionally uh, for His good gifts, knowing that they are not automatic. And you know what? It's so important to do this. Taking time to thank God is, is actually no small matter. It's something at the heart of what God wants from His creatures, from, from His people. God wants His children to say thanks to Him, to be thankful. You know, it's much like parents with their own children. Imagine a child who never thanks mom and dad for everything they give or anything they do. Mom and dad won't appreciate that very much. But how much more so is this with us and Almighty God, who gives us everything, every good thing we have. God is the giver of every good gift, and He wants to be acknowledged and thanked for His goodness. This is part of how we honor Him as God. In fact, as we hope to see from our text, this is one reason He gives us many good things to enjoy, like food and drink. It's so that we might turn to Him, that we might praise Him and thank Him, and ultimately serve Him with our entire lives. So, that brings us also to the sermon theme this morning. God's gift of fruitful seasons is meant to turn us to Him in praise and thanksgiving. And we have three points we're going to look at. First, we're going to look at the generous giving of God. Uh, second point, we'll, we'll look at the sinful response of idolatry that often happens in the world and can happen in our own lives too. And finally, we'll look at the praise and thanksgiving offered to God by believers. So first of all, we'll look at the, the generous giving of God. So our text takes place on Paul's first missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas set off together, went to various cities, and finally they came to the city of Lystra. They spoke God's word to the people there, and they explained something essential to God's nature. God is a God who gives generously, and He gives freely. Listen to how they describe the Lord in our text. He is the living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, He allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet He did not leave Himself without witness. For He did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. This is something fundamental to who God is. He's a generous God. 
His providence supplies us, His power supplies us with every material blessing that we have. As James 1 verse 17 puts it, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. It's something the people of Lystra needed to understand. It's something that we need to understand as well, to have firmly in our minds. God is a generous God who gives freely. You know, these these words of Paul to the people of Lystra are just as true today about God as when they were spoken uh, 2,000 years ago. God does us good by giving us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons. He satisfies our hearts, too, with food and gladness. God sends us rain from heaven. No, we might not think much of it when we get when we get rain, but rain is really a remarkable thing. It's really amazing how God waters the earth. Uh, maybe some of the students in science class will learn about the water cycle. You know how waters from oceans and lakes evaporates into the air as it rises. It hits cooler air, condenses, forms into clouds. And then the clouds just float along in the air and eventually raindrops form, falling gently down to the earth. And God waters the earth in such a marvelous way that way. It's easy to take it for granted. But it is very wonderful as God sends the rains, the thirsty ground is replenished once more. Plants, animals, and humans soak it in and life flourishes under the blessing of God. And God also sends us fruitful seasons, seasons of planting, growing, and harvesting. And this year, too, we can praise God, thank Him for another crop here in Manitoba. Now, I realize that this year uh, was mixed results across the province, uh, there were some definite hardships. The beginning of the growing season was difficult for probably most farmers. Uh, earlier in the year, you probably remember, we had a parade of blizzards uh, come through and snow continued well into April. Uh, then when it did warm up enough, we received a one Colorado low after another. If you never heard of that term before this year, well, you certainly heard it this spring as a parade of rainstorms soaked our province. And because of all the water, some farmers couldn't even get their crops into the ground at all. And yet many others could. The Lord then sent weather for the crops to grow and produce a harvest. We know, though, that getting all the crops off the field is not a guarantee. There were probably some fears earlier in September that it would be too wet to, to harvest the crops. But lately, we've had some wonderful weather for harvesting, and many could reap much of their crops. Overall, God has given us a fruitful season once again. It's His faithfulness, His goodness on display. And yes, creation is groaning because of the curse. There are things like drought and floods, famine and disease. But what we experienced again 
This year highlights God's promise in Genesis 8, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Once more, we've received that fulfillment of God's promise. And this too is is really amazing when you think about it, the steadiness of the seasons and God's providing care. When you study it, the continuation of life on earth, it sits, <clears throat> sits upon a knife's edge, so to speak. If you, just, if you throw off just a few of the uh, many variables there are on the earth, a life would perish, quickly perish on the earth. The earth is fine-tuned for life. And this is one reason why no one has discovered life on other planets. I don't just mean planets in our solar system. I mean in, in our galaxy, in the universe. We have every reason to believe there are trillions upon trillions of planets out there. And for secular scientists, this presents a massive problem. If life arose here on Earth, so the thinking, the thinking goes... It ought to have done the same somewhere else in some of the, one of the massive amounts of planets in our Milky Way galaxy alone. But every planet we discover is devoid of life. I'm highly confident it will remain that way. God preserves life here on earth in such a marvelous and magnificent way. Again, the earth is fine-tuned for life, and God allows life to flourish, continue on that way. What is one reason God might show this to us, that all those trillions of planets out in the universe are devoid of life? Well, perhaps to show show us how carefully He sustains our lives. How wonderfully He is faithful and continues to give us seasons where we can grow and and harvest and eat and drink. If he stopped guiding the elements of the universe in such a precise way, we would all soon die. And earth would be another barren wasteland. But look at what Paul says to the people of Lystra. God not only gives us rain and fruitful seasons, he also gives in such a way that he satisfies our hearts with food and gladness. See, the Lord not only sustains life, but so often he fills our cup to overflowing. We have way more than we need, and there's so many things to enjoy. You know, just think about the beautiful sunny days we've been having lately, like a Friday and Saturday also today. You step into the autumn sun, and you can't help but look up and say, Lord, thank you for such a wonderful day. It really is beautiful. It reminds you of Ecclesiastes 11, verse 7, Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. And as we soak it all in, we can also remind ourselves it's the goodness of God on display goodness shining all around us. 
We can and we may revel in it and feast our hearts on the bounty of God all around us. And that brings us to the second point. So God is the God who gives generously. And given the constant generous giving by God, you would think that everyone would serve the Lord. Sadly, however, we know this is not the case. In fact, the opposite is actually true. The default mode of the sinful human heart is not worship of God, it's idolatry. It's trusting in other things besides the Lord. It's worshiping created things instead of the Creator. It's refusing to acknowledge and thank God for His gifts. And we must understand that idolatry happens not because of a lack of information. Sometimes we might think, well, if only people you know, out in the world had more information, then they would believe in God. That's what we might think, but it's actually not the case. See, God's good gifts in creation not only highlights God's generosity, but they also serve an important function. The Apostle Paul says in Acts 14 that God's gifts in creation also serve as a witness. They are giving testimony. They are saying something about God and the reality that He is there. Spirit says the same thing in Romans 1 where he says, What can be known about God is plain to people because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse." God has left us a clear witness to the reality that He is there. The food we eat, beautiful days, enjoyable things, how life is sustained on this planet, they all point us to God and His glory. But as we see from the Bible, as we see from history, as we see with our own two eyes, uh, the, often the response is idolatry. People suppress this witness. You see, whenever we see sign of God's goodness and power in creation, it's so often there that you will find idolatry. It's because people are confronted with the reality of God. And that's why, for example, so many people in history have worshipped the sun or a sun god. The sun shouts forth the glory of God, but instead of worshiping God, people instead worship the created thing, and that's often the pattern of idolatry, worshiping the creation rather than the creator. And Paul alludes to this in Acts 14 when he says, God left the nations with a clear witness to himself. But sadly, this did not stop them from going in their own way, worshiping their idols. They served idols instead of the Lord, and so God let them follow 
the desires of their hearts. The people of Lystra demonstrate all this by their actions. In Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas first preached in Iconium, but when the Gentiles and the Jews there attempted to stone them, they fled to Lystra. And at Lystra, well, let's just say they received quite the opposite treatment than at Iconium. Far from stoning Paul and Barnabas, the people of Lystra wanted to worship them. Why did they do that? Well, as we read, God empowered Paul to miraculously heal a man crippled from birth. Paul looked at the man sitting there. When he saw that he had faith to be made well, he said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And instantly the man sprang up and began to walk around. And how, imagine how astonished you would be if you, if you saw this man do that, healed in an instant. You'd never seen him walk for a moment in his life. And then at the next moment, there he is, standing strong, looking like he's ready to run the 100-meter dash. You know, it was a clear sign of God's power and his might. But what did the people of Lystra do? They, they took it as an opportunity for more idolatry. Believing they were Zeus and Hermes, the people of Lystra tried to worship Barnabas and Paul. Paul and Barnabas were adamant in their response, don't worship us. There is only one God, the living God. You must turn to him. And even after speaking with them, they had a hard time stopping these people. It's how deeply idolatry runs deep in our hearts But of course, it's so foolish. It's an obvious twisting of God's revelation in creation. These people were worshiping the Greek gods, Zeus and Hermes. I don't know if you've ever read Greek mythology before. Maybe you should do it sometime. Read Greek mythology about the Greek gods such as Zeus. What do you read when you uh, read that material? Well, you see that Zeus is far from being all-powerful, and much less is he all-wise. And someone like Zeus obviously is not in control of this wonderful creation. It's 100% clear that the God who magnificently and faithfully sends us every day things like sunshine and rain, food and drink, and satisfies our hearts with gladness and fruitful seasons is not Zeus. You think Zeus is behind the fine-tuning of the universe? Not even close. Zeus is more like an out-of-control adolescent. The world would disintegrate in a moment if he were in control. And so their, their idolatry is foolishness. It's sinful. Yet here were the people of Lystra worshiping him. But here, of course, is where we must examine our own hearts. It could be easy to spot someone else's sin and idolatry. It's not always easy to see your own sin. I doubt anyone here is tempted to worship Zeus. But it can be easy to start worshiping created things rather than the God who made them. Isn't that our temptation? 
to worship created things rather than the Creator. And it can be oh so easy to put our ultimate trust in the things in the world rather than in the Lord. That's certainly a weakness I have, probably you have. And it can be easy to live an unthankful life where you just receive and receive and receive from God and you take it for granted. And you forget to offer the Lord thanksgiving for all His gifts. And you know what? That's really the heart of the matter. Because whether someone is worshiping Zeus or worshiping sports doesn't make much difference. In the end, it's still idolatry. Well, the Apostle Paul was an instrument in God's hand to heal this crippled man. And the people of Lystra tried to worship the instrument that God used. And that's not very far from our hearts either. You know, relying on science and technology in place of God is it's not hard to do. You know, if the crops fail locally, we just ship, ship in food from somewhere else on the planet, even if it's halfway around the world, and it can cause us to no longer rely on the Lord, to seek His blessing. To be sure, God may use our modern technology to give us food, but those things are nothing without the sustaining power of God. That brings us to our last point. So the function of God's good gifts in creation serves as a witness to God. He is there. He is worthy of our worship. But as we saw this, as we saw this witness from God in itself does not turn people from sin and idolatry. Instead, sometimes it often it increases it. This is not the fault of the witness of creation, rather it's a fault of the sinful human heart. As Paul says, for quite some time, God let the nations go their own way, continuing on in their idolatry. He was focused on the people of Israel for such a long period. But now things were changing. Christ Jesus was king of the entire world, reigning from heaven. The Holy Spirit was now poured out, convicting all people of their sin. And God was using another means to turn people from idolatry to himself. He was using and is using the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. This is what Barnabas and Paul emphasized to the people of Lystra in our text. Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. So the grammar here shows that the good news Paul and Barnabas brought had a specific purpose. Not only was it meant to give people salvation in the forgiveness of their sins, but it was also meant to change people's lives. It's the good news of Christ that frees us from idolatry. This is the means or the tool God still uses. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, it's the message of salvation 
in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. We had severed ourselves from God by our sin, every one of us. We made ourselves worthy of eternal punishment. But God made a way that we could be brought back into His favor. And He did it by His generous giving again, by sending His own Son, giving Him up for us all, all who believe in Him. And by faith in Jesus Christ, we are saved from the punishment that comes upon sinners. And that's because for believers, the punishment of their sins fell on Christ instead of us. It fell on Christ instead of us. So that the blessing of God might be poured into our lives. And that's true for you if you believe in Jesus Christ. It's true for you. And so in Christ, we are reconciled to God. Uh, We are, where there was war, there's now peace. Where there was damnation, there's now salvation. And because we have these precious things in Christ, we no longer need to suppress the truth about God with idolatry and sin. Why would we ignore the truth about God? Why refuse to serve this forgiving God of grace? Look at what he's done. He gives you free forgiveness through the blood of Christ. And you can now come into his presence without fear through Christ's blood. You can enjoy his love, his everlasting love and his goodness. And God has given us this good news of Christ also to change us. It brings about what God's witness in creation alone could not do, the worship and praise of God. As Paul and Barnabas said, we bring you good news so that you should turn from these worthless things to the living God. And may that be true of you as well. That you would turn from any idolatry that has taken hold in your life. And that your heart would be devoted to God in praise and worship. And we would give Him all of our worship, all of our praise. And also that we would acknowledge Him by thanking Him for every good gift that He gives. You know, many, or quite a few of the main holidays in our country are connected to Christianity in some way. I think only of the big ones like Christmas, a Good Friday, and Easter. Those ones are obvious. But Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving holiday, too, is, is deeply Christian. And by that, I don't mean that the Bible specifies that one day in the, new year, in the year after the crops are taken in must be a feast day or something like that. But setting aside time to be thankful to God and intentionally thanking God for His gifts is a thoroughly Christian thing to do. See, one common theme in those who don't serve the Lord It's a lack of thankfulness to God. This is something also that Romans 1 says. There we read in verse 21, Although people know God from creation, they do not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. 
Let us keep that in mind. Let me encourage you to be thankful. Yes, enjoy what God gives us. Maybe you have a big feast this weekend. Enjoy it. God does satisfy our hearts with food and with gladness. Enjoy it to His glory. But as He does that, remember to thank your God. Thank Him from the heart. Not just for, him, for food, but for everything. And thank Him especially for His grace in Jesus Christ. Where would we be uh, without His saving work in Jesus Christ? Where would we be? Well, we might be in the place of these people of Lystra worshiping some worthless god like Zeus. Well, thank the Lord that you are His child, that you serve the living God. It's His grace. Of course, remember... No, to thank Him not only today or tomorrow, thank Him every day. Thank Him with your words. Thank Him with your actions. Thank Him with your entire life. Amen. Let's now respond to the preaching of God's Word by singing Hymn 76.